2: The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily.
1: Hello and welcome along to Wednesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. We are back in the swing of things here at FSD. And that, of course, means one thing. It is a return to our daily podcast schedule. Yes, every 24 hours, we will have a fresh slice of Premier League opinion, news and hot takes as the only daily Premier League podcast for the 2022 23 season on today's show we're switching back into transfer mode with yet more nonsense emerging from manchester united plus some two exciting arrivals down the road at goodison park for frank lampard and everton marco anatovic will not be joining united this summer but United fans, don't hold your breath just yet because there is another big link in coming. Atletico Madrid striker Alvaro Morata is the latest name linked in the Old Trafford transfer lucky dip. How will that play out? We're getting Joel's reaction to that in just a few seconds. Wild times indeed for Eric Ten Hag, But as for Frank Lampard, he's shored up his back line. England international Connor Cody comes in on a season-long loan and a sensational move, it has to be said, to sign Lille star Amadou Anana at Godison park those stories ought to come in the first two parts of today's show and then to wrap it up we have our wednesday feature your questions asked marley's been picking through the good the bad and the bizarre to put to our team and we will do our best to get through them on today's show so plenty to get through on a busy midweek edition my name's fergal brennan the man with all the questions and hopefully a few answers marley anderson marley how are we doing Good morning. Yeah, not not, uh, not too bad. Wonderful stuff. Uh, someone who's had uh, another tense morning as a Manchester United fan. We've had the Wesley Schneider summer, the Nicholas Gaetan summer. We've even had the Frankie de Jong summer. Joel, can you handle an Alvaro Morata summer at Manchester United? I'm reaching my
0: limits here. Honestly, I think at this rate we just need to put the club down, to be honest. <laughs> just put it out of his misery. But um, yeah, let's see how the next two weeks go because I can't stand what's going on at the moment.
1: Well, uh, the roller coaster has continued at Manchester United in the last 24 48 hours, Joel. Uh, Marco Anatovic, as I said is not coming to Manchester United. You can relax. Uh, former Stoke City star Arnautovic will not be lining up for United this season but not for the reasons that you would probably hope in that the club have seen sense and realised that a 33 year old is not the way to go fan reaction and also Bologna asking for too much money have eventually scuppered the deal so no Arnautovic But the latest rumour is Alvaro Morata. This is from ESPN saying that Atletico Madrid have offered United the chance to sign him this summer. Now, he's into the last 12 months of his contract in Spain. He was on loan at Juventus last season. They rejected a purchase clause. Diego Simeone's not fussed about keeping him at Atletico. Given the fact that nobody wants him, he hasn't done particularly well. He sounds tailor-made for United.
0: Well I just seen that he'd scored a hat trick against Juventus and when I looked at the score I was confused at what side he was actually playing on he's been moved around that much between them. Um
1: and it was a friendly. And it
0: was yeah it was a friendly as well so it just adds a little extra um yeah <laughs> <laughs> less said about that one but you know I've always had a soft spot for Alvaro Morata about 6 years ago because the guy is just a striker who cannot finish. And when you've got a striker who cannot finish, I don't think you should be touching him with a barge pole. And considering how many times he's been moved around from Juventus to Atletico to Real Madrid and then back around to Juventus, and he just doesn't settle up. I and mean, Chelsea, I forgot the Chelsea one as well, where he didn't do great there. Um, it's just a Manchester United panic mode. They, they have no plan. There's no strategy of what they need to do next if they would have gone in for for example Arnautovic in June as an option I think it would have been a little bit more acceptable but there's a different reason why he's not been picked and why there's been so much fan outrage and that's his stuff off the pitch Um, and it shouldn't take fans due diligence to come up with what's been going on around this guy like i don't i would love to be in a fly in the wall when they were in the boardroom and i don't know who suggested him maybe it was ten Hag, maybe it was murder maybe it was our scouting department but i would love to have been a fly in the maybe room and Steve someone claren having worked with him before Oh, yeah that's actually a good shout considering <laughs> he was there still I didn't realise that there
2: was a there was a racism charge hanging over
0: him that was never actually sorted out so it's, 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 like it's absolutely shocking how, how how is it taking fans to realise I thought that's what a scouting department's for to see the kind of person they are the profile of them and to, I, I imagine it was similar to I'm sure everyone's seen the Sunderland clip in the documentary where what if the guys recommends Latan Ibrahimovic and they're all like what Ibrahimovic. I imagine that might have been what it was like, except this time they thought it was a good idea. So honestly, like I've said on Monday's podcast, I've just got zero faith in who's running the club. I've got zero faith in who's looking for targets. And until we change ownership, absolutely nothing's going to change. But with Alvaro Morata, I mean, he's a big upgrade on Arnautovic, I guess. But is he going to win us anything? no. Is there a reason why Atletico Madrid are dying to get him off their books? Yes. You've got to look at it this way. There's no other top European club. Well, actually, with Morata, it's a little bit different, isn't it? Because it seems as though there's some money laundering scheme going along with him because the amount of big transfers he seems to get, his agent... Is just show promoting style, um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm I'm I don't really know what to say. I've got no more reactions to these plays. I think next time, I reckon tomorrow, if I was if I was going to hedge my bets that who we're going to be linked with next, I wouldn't be surprised to see Roque Santa Cruz on the list. Maybe Peter Odemwingie, uh, maybe well, Jordan maybe, maybe that yeah. maybe that's and we got Huddleston as well, just behind him. Plan. Huddleston <laughs> just behind him, you know, you might see this Titus Bramble roll 10 up. Teams, absolutely, mint yeah, we're gonna if we roll back the years we'd have a great side, so yeah, I don't know what's going on at this club anymore to be honest.
1: Manchester United fans, welcome back to two thousand and seven. And by the way, your new name is Blackburn Rovers. Marley of Armorata he, he makes Nicholas and and Robbie Keane look like Jokers, the amount of money he's racked up in transfer fees, as Joel's just pointed out, obviously in wages, signing on fees as well. And just looking back over his record over the last few seasons, he doesn't go small in terms of the teams that he plays for. He plays for the big guns, Juventus, Real Madrid, Chelsea, Atletico Madrid. And his goal record is just so poor. Based on the nine, last nine seasons, he's only scored 15 or more league goals in any country once. Once. But despite that and this is why he's such a bit part player he's won a La Liga title a Champions League title two Serie A titles he's got to the Champions League final with Juventus in all that he's won the FA Cup and the Europa League during his time at Chelsea but he's been absolutely forgettable at every stop along the way and you know we're, we're winding Joel up a little bit about the links with United but in a way he's just as dangerous in terms of the precedent that it sets certainly on pitch as Marco and Outovic for this drop in standards and this just bringing in whoever is available, whoever's floating around. It's a bit like going to the supermarket with half an hour before it closes. You've got nothing in the fridge. You are absolutely starving. Oh, do you know what? Yeah, I can cobble this together, and maybe if I whack that with this, you know, that'll be at least decent. That is what Alvaro Morata would be at Manchester United.
2: Yeah, I think I think it's hard to disagree with that. It's it is a panic by I think. The only thing that's saving a little bit of face for Man United is the fact that, like you said, he, he's done quite a lot in his career, but he's always just been—he's been one of the squad. He hasn't been the main man who's, who's fired a team to to a huge uh, sort of level of success. And you know, I'm looking back through his through his career record. And, you know, nine goals last season, eleven the season before, twelve the season before, six before that, five before that for Chelsea. You know, this is. This is not a a top striker who's going to come in and, and fill all your you know fill gap in the Man United attack. Um, it's a guy who, you know, is is a bit of a rolling stone. He he bounces around from club to club. And you know one of, one of my favorite things is is that uh, the, the tweet that always says that is a he's a money laundering scheme because he keeps moving for thirty five forty million. And why would you pay forty million for a guy who scored? Who, who averages it? You know, nine or ten goals a season—that's that's staggering. But uh, at twenty-nine years old, as well, he's coming to that interesting stage of his career where he's he's only going to get worse. He's not going to get better. He's had, you know, nine nine years of being a professional footballer and, and looking promising at times, and then not realizing it. Um, and for Man United, it's it's just a it's another sort of burning bin fire of a transfer that they they don't seem to see. And they they seem to be interested in it, whether it happens or not, we don't know. Obviously, we'll have to wait and see for the next three weeks. But it, I mean, from everyone who's who's sort of familiar with with how he's done in in the past few years, he's uh, he's not the answer to to any of my United's questions right now.
1: If just to wrap up before we take a break, Joel, in terms of Alvaro Morata, there is the potential this could happen. Atlético Madrid can't wait to get rid of him. Is there any positive case that you could make if? Let's fast forward a couple of weeks. We're approaching the end of the transfer window. Nothing's been done. The situation over Cristiano Ronaldo's not been settled. Is there any case to be made that this has any sort of sense to it?
0: No, not at all. I think when you reach a period in the transfer window where you're getting offered players... That's when you're in dangerous territory, then, because it's not it, the the players weren't in the plans to begin with. If he was signed in June, like I mentioned before, it shows that the club has a bit of a strategy. The fact that there's two weeks left at the window and they're now trying to run around trying to find the next player who can slot into the side because Ten Hag's probably realised he's got a bunch of clowns under him pretty much um then you you're in trouble aren't you with your squad so i think looking at the plays we're getting linked with it purely shows that the board are panicking um they've been running around for three months trying to chase frankie de Jong with no plan b when you have um, mctominy and fred as your midfielders makes zero sense to me um you've got ronaldo who they've knowns want to leave for the last two months no plan b You've got Anthony Martial who you have to rely on. He's injury prone. No plan B. I don't understand what these guys are getting paid for up above, you know, John Murta. This was his summer to really show himself and prove to people that he's a different cut of cloth from Ed Woodward. I'm sorry, but at the moment he's making Ed Woodward look like a bit of a saint because at least Ed Woodward actually reached some targets who you know, were a bit more of a bigger name or had a bit more ambition. At the moment, these guys are trying to get cup-price cup plays or over the hill. Like, When has that ever worked and when will it ever work for United? Because they'll have to get moved on in the next two, three years the exact same way that every other player has to at United. So no, right now it's it's the wrong strategy. But like I say, they haven't got a strategy because they're literally firing bids out to anyone and anyone hoping that they'll arrive. So right now, I don't really have too much faith in the next two weeks at Manchester United or the next year, in fact.
1: Yeah, I think there's only one thing we can do. Benny McCarthy, get on the phone, get the band back together. Two guy, Damian Duff, Santa Cruz, Morton Gams-Pederson, Brad Friedel. Let's see what all these guys are up to because Manchester United are in need of squad reinforcements. Right, we're going to take a break here on the Football Social Daily. After the break, we are talking... Everton, Mr. Consistency, Connor Cody has swapped wolves for Everton and a big sign-in from the French League. Amadou Anana has joined the Frank Lampard Revolution at Goodison Park. All that to come in just a sec.
2: Football's social daily.
1: Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Wednesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. Just a quick reminder, with the Premier League season back in business, we are back up to a daily Premier League podcast. Every single day, we've got a fresh podcast for you to check out. So if you hit subscribe, if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, you can get access to a brand new show every single day. Right, we're moving on to Everton, Marley, and I'm going to go to you first on this because two very different signings for Everton in the last couple of days. Up until this week, Everton had been criticised for a lack of business, a lack of excitement, up until maybe, I think, two weeks ago before they brought in Dwight McNeil. Them, along with Leicester, were the only two teams not to have signed anybody for money. Obviously, James Tarkowski coming in for free. Dwight McNeil's come in for an undisclosed fee. Lampard's kicked into gear a bit in the last few days. So first and foremost, Connor Cody, Wolves captain, has been prized away. He's joined on a season-long loan with a purchase option to stay at Everton next season. There's a great stat floating around about Connor Cody because consistency always gets talked about in the Premier League. He's only missed one Premier League game in the last four seasons. That's more than any other outfield player in the Premier League. That in itself is quite impressive to keep away from injury and keep yourself in a decent Wolves team that's pushing for Europe. Why are Wolves letting him go? He's club captain. He's been important for them under Nuno Santo, getting them up into the Premier League. Bruno Leij kept him in the team and now they've sanctioned a loan move to a rival. If Everton you know, meet their objectives, they want to be pushing into mid-table, the type of area that Wolves are in. And they've just let their captain go, and potentially go permanently next summer.
2: Yeah, it's, um, it did come as a bit of a shock, to be fair. Um, I think, with Bruno Lage and his his sort of um, vision for for Wolves, I think it's I think he's just a casualty of that. I think when they sign Nathan Collins, you're looking at Wolves' back back line and thinking. Cody could be in a little bit of uh, of bother here because Max Kilman's very promising and you know he's very highly thought of and he was linked with Chelsea earlier in this this transfer window and you know he's expected to go on and be part of that team for for a, a, a sort of long time and then you've got the new signing of Collins so you know where does that leave Cody if they don't want to play a back three and and the way they did uh, the way they set up in the first game uh, at Leeds they, they set up with a back four for the first time in. In, well, since before Nuno Santo, I think so. Um, I think he's he's a system player. Is is you see him getting in the England team um, and England squad, sorry. And I think that's because England have been trying to play with a back three slash five for, for the last few um, few years. And you know he's very good in that system. He's a great organizer. He's a great talker. He's you know he's comfortable on the ball with the with the ball at his feet, bringing it out of defence and things like that. But with um, with Wolves I think it I think it's just just a natural time to come to an end. I think Bruno Large, when he comes in I think because he hasn't felt the benefit of Conor Cody for you know four or five years I think it, it it becomes easier for him to go there's better defenders than him. Whereas Nuno Santo for example came into Wolves when they're in the championship and Cody was a huge player in the dressing room. He was a huge player in in terms of dragging them out of the championship into the Premier League and then keeping them there for you know, and establishing themselves and finishing seventh, I think twice in a row, and then, and then you know going into Europe and all the rest of it. So, I think this is um, just sort of a, a natural ending, and for him to go back to Merseyside, even though it's the blue half rather than the red half, is is slightly surprising. But he wants football. Everton are playing a back a back five. He fits into that nicely. Um and he's the type of player you want alongside you in, in the trenches when you're fighting for things. Um i.e. uh your Premier League safety if, if it comes down to that again. So I think it's a it's a decent move for all. I think a lone move as well, you know, he doesn't have to I I, I dunno the uh the details of it if he has to sign if it's an obligation or an option. So, you know, if it all goes wrong then he could he can leave and go back to Wolves. Um but if not, you wouldn't you wouldn't back against him sticking around to being an Everton captain in a few years because
1: he's that type of character that you uh, you can pin your, your hopes on a bit and uh, and rely on him. Joel, looking at this on the face of it, Conor Cody is not the most exciting signing in the world. He does bring with him a lot of Premier League experience, paired up with James Tarkowski. Again, another massively experienced defender in the Premier League. Michael Keane has had a bit of a rocky time at Everton, but he's he's been around the block. Seamus Coleman's obviously got bags of experience. He slots into that defensive unit. Everton fans were frustrated at the back end of last season because they didn't want to be in a relegation battle. It was seen as a necessity But these types of signings, playing with five at the back and, and four midfielders in front, it seems as if he's gearing up to dig in and battle for Premier League survival again this season.
0: Well, when we remember last season, they were leaking goals very, very easily. And I think he's needed to find players who he can trust And when you've got now, is it James Tarkowski and now Connor Cody, who have both been very, very good players in the Premier League for quite a while now. Um, I think he just needed players at the back who are basically guaranteed to just come in and straight away hit the ground running. Um, It was a bit of a shock for me to see Conor Cody actually leave Wolves because as everyone knows he's been there for quite a long time club captain plays 38 games a season in the Premier League for them Has even been on the fringes of Gareth Southgate's England squad so it's just testament to how much he's improved there and um, especially because he's a Liverpool fan as well to actually go to Everton was another shocker for me but I guess it must have been his decision because I can't imagine Wolves were wanting to force him out after he's basically been such a regular for them Um, I'm guessing it's just to be closer to family I I don't know the reasons or if it's come out yet why but I think it's a it's a very shrewd signing from Everton it's a smarter one because as I've been really critical previously when Lampard brought in Deli Alley and Donny van der Beek in the January transfer window it was just a complete ridiculous disaster of signings for them to in the situation that they were in and now I think he's realizing actually we can't just go for potential he's not in the position to go for potential at the moment of course you can balance it out but right now or as we've seen there's been a massive need for experience and I think they've got that now especially in defense so I think it'll really stand them in decent stead but I think the, the main issue at the moment is finding the goals because, obviously, Calvert-Lewin's out and Richarlison's been sold, so I don't really know where they're coming from, which is going to be a massive issue for him.
1: One little bit of excitement for Everton fans is the arrival of Amadou Anana-Mali because Connor Cody, we're kind of beating down on him a little bit. He's not the most exciting, but he's a player that you probably need when you're in the position that Everton are. As for Anana, he's come in from Lille, third ever highest transfer fee paid by Everton, 33 and half and a half million there's some add-ons thrown on that could probably bring it up to around 40 million looking at some of his stats based on Ligue 1 last season he was really impressive for Lille alongside Renato Sanchez got his call up to the Belgian senior team as well and we know they don't tend to call up players that are not at it when you consider the amount of talent that they've got in their midfield but all of his key statistics in terms of what is positive are defensive really high for tackles really high for pressures interceptions winning the ball in the middle third and the defensive third of the pitch i look at that and I, and i feel really bad because everton fans deserve and need some positivity but is that the type of player that Everton needs? Last year, they were so short on creativity. Obviously, you know, Guilfi Sigurdsson, James Rodriguez was no longer at the club. So much of their goals and their creative output came from hard work. Richarlison grafting down one side, Anthony Gordon working hard, Dominic Calvert-Lewin when fit, getting on the end of stuff. They need a creative force in that midfield. It hasn't happened with Deli Ali, and it hasn't happened with other players they've brought in. Someone like Anana comes in and he improves them because of the talent that he's got. But is he a bit too similar to what they already have at the football club?
2: Uh, I would I would share those reservations if I'm honest. Thirty three million when you've you know when you desperately need a striker, Everton don't they? If you've got thirty three million to spend on someone and you've got the financial. Um, backing to do that, despite the FFP and you know the the, the stuff they've spent in the past five years, it's um, it's a little bit strange to then go and buy a, a, another holding midfielder. I think they've got they've still got Alan at the club. I think he's I think he's really good, but I think he's, he he realises that Everton aren't going anywhere fast, and he's probably looking for a way out. If I'm honest, um, Dakure as well is good sort of box to box midfielder, lots of energy, lots of Sort of pressing and can and can get forward and, and chip in with a few as well. But I do agree they probably need someone up the other end. Um, if he if he look if he turns out to be a good player, then then fine, you know, fantastic. But you know, thirty. I just think thirty three million pound. He's coming from the French league. We a lot of the time we see combative, powerful, defensive midfielders come to the Premier League from France and and not. Not not get going. You've seen it with Ndombélé at Tottenham. You've seen it with um, uh, the Leicester fellow they signed last summer. Was it Sumare Just just hasn't it hasn't done anything yet. And I don't want to like write him off before he before he comes because he's only you know I think he's 21 years old. But even that adds into it like the step up at 21 is 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 pretty big. Um, so I hope for their sake that that he does well. But I would question whether that money is not better spent in in other parts of the squad where. You know, you've got Salomon Rondon leading the line at the minute and uh Calvert Lewin injured. You've replaced a winger um with you know the winger that you've lost in Richarlison with another one in McNeil. Do you not need another one on top of that to to, to chip in with a few goals as well? You know, Ademari Gray and Andros Townsend when he comes back and, and Dwight McNeil gonna do the do the job, I'm I'm not entirely sure, but I will have to wait and see. But I think one of Lampard's things is we've got to shore up defensively because they were they were conceding terrible, soft goals to concede last year. Um, so maybe he's addressing that before, before he can uh, spend the last three weeks of the transfer window going forwards and uh, and picking up some some players to help his attack.
1: In terms of goal-scoring numbers from last season, Joel, Everton finished 16th in the table, but they finished 16th in the table for goals scored and they finished 15th in the table for XG. Richarlison, who's obviously left the club, top Premier League goal-scorer with 10. There's a real issue over goals at Everton Football Club and Marley touched on it there. They're not getting the goals from midfield that maybe teams around them get. Goals directly from set-pieces, they're not getting either. Calvert-Lewin's having his injury issues. If Everton don't bring in a striker to either back up Calvert-Lewin or potentially replace him due to the fitness issues that he's having, they are going to be in a relegation battle again this season. And there's almost nothing Lampard, if he stays, can do about it.
0: Well, I've heard that Marko Arnautovic is available. Also, Alvaro Morata, if they want to join in. <laughs> <laughs> they can. They could be I guess. No, they're any interested in interest United. <laughs> yeah, of course they are, because they want that nice payday. Um yeah as I've just alluded to just previously they're going to be in massive trouble when it comes to actually putting the ball in the net because as me and Marley me and Marley remember we discussed it a couple of days ago about how bewildered we were that Everton went for Dwight McNeil instead of Maxwell Cornier when Cornier was their top scorer by a big big amount he cost less and he's proven on the big European stage, it it kind of baffled me, to be honest, because I feel like Cornet would have really helped Everton in terms of what they were looking for, a goal-scoring winger, um, and just someone who is going to add to the difficulties that they've got at the moment, which is replacing Richarlison's goals and replacing Calvert-Lewin's goals. Um, So it's going to be a really difficult season for them, but I do have some slight confidence in their midfield options because I do think that, you know, when they were relying on Alan and he was the other guy that was next to him, I think it was Decoré for a period of time, but Andre, Andre Gomez, that's the one. I mean, yeah, Andre Gomez, you can't be relying on him in 2022. There was a reason Barcelona let go of him when they did, because he just dis- didn't fit a job. He doesn't fit that level. But, you know, I think with Onana and I think they're trying to bring back uh, Idrissa Gay from PSG, I think those two are going to be quite important signings for them because they need to dominate midfield again. And if I'm going to make a case for Everton fans, especially regarding Onana, is that Lille have produced probably some of the best talents, I would say, in France or developed the best talents probably out of every single French club because when you look back at their sales I mean you've got Victor Osiman who's now at Napoli Sven Botman who's just gone to Newcastle Edin Hazard I mean needless to say what he did Raphael Liao at Milan I mean he's going to get a massive money signing in the next couple of years Yves Bissouma Gabriel to Arsenal they've got the, now the... Sanchez just gone to PSG yeah, they, 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 they produce some top, top players there. Um, and, you know, with Onana, he's already played in Germany. He already got a big money signing to Leo for £12 million. So this So clear, he's clearly a rising talent and a rising star that's known all around Europe. So I think judging from that basis of how Leo produce players, uh, sign and develop players, I think he should be a really obviously a very rough diamond at the moment he's only 20 years old as Roberto Martinez said um he's one of the talent most talented players at his age but he is 20 years old so don't be expecting you know an absolute miracle to happen while he's there but I think it's a good starter from Everton it's a little bit more smarter than what I saw in January for sure
1: yeah, indeed. Cody and Anana through the door at Goodison Park. But as we touched on in part one, the mysteries at Manchester United remain right. We're going to wrap up for part two. In part three, we are taking your social media questions. As part of our regular Wednesday feature, this is your Your Questions Asked segment. So as always, if you want to ask us a question that we answer on the podcast, fire it over on social media. Marley's going to throw all the details at you across the next few minutes. Hello and welcome back to Wednesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. Just a quick update for you. We are starting a new project this season, Football Social Daily Shots. Yes, a late afternoon podcast here from Football Social Daily, picking up some of the afternoon stories, moving into the evening, press conferences, transfer breaking news. And we're also going to be chatting to some exciting podcasters, journalists on specialist areas of Premier League, European football everything you need to keep completely topped up. So we're gonna have the full podcast in the morning and then to keep you going through the day, we have got our Bite Size Shots podcast. Right, to wrap up today's podcast, we're gonna be talking about your questions. Yes, every Wednesday, your social media questions are answered here on the podcast. Marley, you can get in touch across any social media platform. Give us a couple of details on how you can get your questions across.
2: Yeah, just uh, just send us a, a DM on Insta, um, Sport Social Official. Um, that's a, that's always a, a good way of getting one noticed. Um, or you can just reply to any of the tweets on our new uh, football social daily focused Twitter account at FSD Pod. Um, we've just started that about two weeks ago, so we're still getting our getting our followers to to follow that and get all the latest news from the podcast. Um, and there's also we're, we've always been on Facebook, you know, for years. Uh, just just search sport social, and it'll pop up. And we've uh, we're, yeah, would just DM us there, and I'll see it. No, no Newcastle slander, please. Otherwise, it won't get read out on the uh, on the podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, we are a dictatorship. As as much as I'm putting this forward as a fair project, we are a Newcastle dictatorship. Um, so the first question, I can't bring myself to answer this, let alone read it. So I'm going to read it out through gritted teeth, Joel. Uh, This comes in from Instagram from Alex. I'd love to hear the lads discuss this one. So, as an Arsenal fan, I was wondering which team is better, in your opinion, at the moment, Tottenham or Arsenal, in segments? So we're looking at attack, midfield, defence, basically man for man, through their starting 11s, through their squads. Who is the better side at the moment? I'm terrified about what the answer to this is going to be from either of you. So, Joel give it to me straight Tottenham have strengthened massively over the summer Arsenal have also spent money Tottenham are in the Champions League Arsenal missed out last season who as it stands is the stronger team in North London
0: I'm sorry to say this to Alex and also to Fergal as well but Spurs are in a different zone to Arsenal a different phase let's say I think, don't get me wrong, Arsenal are looking very, very promising at the moment, but it's still a very young squad compared to Spurs where, you know, when you look at, for example, Harry Kane, Hyung min Son, they're, 28-29 they're at the absolute peak of their powers at the moment and then when you look at Arsenal you've got Gabriel Martinelli Odegaard, Saka, Gabriel Jesus they're all under 25 so you know maybe it's hard to give it a level playing field because I think for Arsenal they're still a team who is waiting to hit that peak and that pinnacle where they're all going to be performing you know even higher levels like to the level that you know maybe Son and Kane are at but I would say the only area that Arsenal at the moment can kind of match Tottenham is probably the defence, just because I was really impressed with uh, Gabriel and Saliba when they played against Crystal Crystal Palace. I thought they were very, very solid. Um, I think Saliba is going to start to come on strength to strength after he's getting games under his belt. Obviously, after being two years away from the Arsenal side, he's developed so well at Marseille. Um, But then, I mean, when you look at Tottenham, Eric Dyer, he's been an unsung hero for Tottenham in these last two years. I would would hedge my bets at him being a starter at the World Cup just because he has become such a reliable player under Antonio Conte. And then he's next to Christian Romero, who is looking more and more like a Rolls-Royce defender by the week. And I think he's going to be probably one of their plays of the season um, as we approach, you know a time where I think Tottenham are going to be closer to Manchester City than I think Liverpool will be um, so I think, you know, defence is the only place where I would say there's similarities but, you know, their forward line of Tottenham is probably one of the best in the league at the moment in terms of just the output, I mean Harry Kane Kulazewski who's hit the ground running and Heung-Min Son, they're all, they've all got easily 20 goals in, them, uh, in the Premier League easily and everyone's forgetting Kulezewski's only 23 years old he's, he's still really putting out ridiculous numbers and he's only been in the Premier League for six months so I think it's scary times for, <laughs> for Arsenal fans um, but yeah I think I think if, if going back to you know Alex's initial question there should be there should be excitement around Arsenal I think for the first time in a long time but don't forget they've got Antonio Conte, he's at a different stage in terms of the development of that Tottenham squad, I think Tottenham are just one step further in terms of going for the bigger prizes but as we know Tottenham when it comes to bigger prizes it's like the north and south magnet isn't it, they just don't seem to attract to each other so let's see how that goes but I've got good feelings for Tottenham this season.
1: And the other question has come in through Twitter from Ntengu and it refers back to Everton, Marley. We talked about them before the break and the signings they brought in, Connor Cody and Anana, and how they'll strengthen and boost Everton this season. But the fact is, according to the bookies, Frank Lampard is the odds-on favourite to be the first manager sacked. So this question that's come in refers to Graham Potter at Brighton. And could Graham Potter replace Lampard at Everton by Christmas? Now, Lampard, as we say, is top of the shop to be the first one bulleted this season which is maybe a little bit unfair but that it is what it is graham potter has been excellent for brighton since he's come in three seasons on the south coast he's kept them in the premier league and then last season getting them up to ninth which is the highest ever premier league finish that they've achieved he's got a lot of admirers he plays his football in a beautiful way or certainly in a positive way big clubs tend to vulture his players so ultimately he's going to get frustrated about that could this be a goer everton have tried so many. Ironically, when Manchester United tried to replace Sir Alex Ferguson with David Moyes, Everton have also been trying to replace David Moyes for so long. They've they've actually run in parallel alongside each other. Obviously, United coming from a much more successful position, but they haven't managed it, and they've tried so many different options, so many variations of system, of manager, of playing styles. None of it has really worked. Graham Potter's got a genuine philosophy, and when you speak to Everton fans, that's what they actually want. They want a plan. They want to go to Goodison, watch a team that knows what they're doing, a manager that knows what they're doing, because that's really the only way to progress. And there is still doubts about whether Lampard is the person to do that. There's not doubts that Graham Potter's got the ability to do that, but would this actually be something he could consider? Uh,
2: n- not not now. I don't think. I- I think Graham Potter's done enough at Brighton to to be tempted away. If if he if and when he does leave, I think he's done enough to get a regular top six job. I think he's done enough to go to uh, a Leicester, for example, or a uh even an Arsenal. I could see him I could see it's doing well like if, if everything goes wrong with Arteta, which I, I don't see it doing anytime soon. Um I could see him, you know, Ticking the boxes there, he played, like you say. He plays really nice football. He's got a good record of uh, of, of uh, with young players. You know the the possession based style. If you think about how Brighton play and, and think about how Arsenal used to play in their in their glory days, I think it was. I think it's kind of similar. I think the, the high pressing, the the comfortable possession type stuff is 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 just right for what what Arsenal would need. Um, <laughs> I think Everton despite being probably a bigger club than Brighton and having slightly deeper pockets, they've got that much uh, hanging over them at the minute that um, that I, I don't think they're in a position to go and prize a, a promising manager away from from a club like Brighton because he, he's going to look at what at what's going on at, at Everton and think, look, you've, you've spent loads of money in the past. That means there's not much left to work with. Um, you've got the, the new stadium, uh, like lingering going on and that necessarily usually means that uh, your budget is cut for the next few years while you try and pay it off and a lot of the profits from the club go towards the debt of paying off the uh, the new stadium. We've seen it with Arsenal when they moved to the Emirates and um, we've seen it with, with other clubs around Europe and, and, and England in the past as well so that's something that doesn't really put everything in a really strong negotiating position. And if you look at Brighton, the the finances are in in check and everything like that. They're they're a very well run club. The scouting's very good. Um, I think if he left there, it 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 needs to be for a regular sort of European challenging club like a, a West Ham or a Leicester, or uh, you know somebody with with a clear project that's uh, that's going forward like an Arsenal or you know someone like that. So I think to be fair to Everton. No, <laughs> I think I, I said it on I said it on last week's podcast. Like I could hundred percent see Sean Dyche at Everton by the end of the season. I just if if Lampard goes and it doesn't go well, I think a short term fix of, uh, of Sean Dyche would be something that makes too much sense to be ignored. Um, but we'll have to wait and see what happens with Lampard because. If there's one thing I would wouldn't really want to see as a neutral, it's it's Sean Dyche coming back into the Premier League playing 4-4-2 and humping it up to uh, to probably Silo and Rondon up there as uh, in the Everton blue. So yeah, I'll have to wait and see what Lampard does, but I think uh, I think Potter's done enough to get a, a bigger, better job.
1: Okay, fair enough. A probable no to Everton from Graham Potter, but we'll be watching with lots of interest what happens with Frank Lampard at Goodison Park. Right, guys, we're going to wrap it up for today. Marley, Joel, as always, thanks for your time. Cheers, guys. Thank you, guys. Great stuff. Thank you so much. On our episode of Football Social Daily Shots this afternoon, we're going to be talking about something positive to do with Manchester United and Cody Gakpom. Yes, the Dutch international could be on that long list of forward players linked with Manchester United. We're going to be getting some deep insights on exactly what he could bring if Eric Ten Hag gets his man through the door. All that to come later on today, so don't forget to check out the short form podcast this afternoon. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you again very, very soon.
2: Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk